Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at property. Specifically, we are looking at the primary place of residence. Everybody needs somewhere to live. Better yet, if you can own it yourself and add some value, that starts you well and truly on the journey into making money. Make sure you take plenty of notes, but as always, please do take plenty of action. See you on the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thanks for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Love the fit today, looking awfully vibrant there. Speaking of which, we're going to chat about the biggest store of wealth in Australia right now, and that is the principal place of residence. So, I thought you were going to talk about my wife's clothing collection. Yeah, not quite. That's the second biggest. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Uh, we're going to talk about how to select one, what to look out for, and of course, your experience along that investing journey, even though it is not necessarily a money-making journey, so to speak, a principal place of residence there is great opportunity for some great gains. Absolutely, and you know, when you take a step out of it, your primary place of residence, PPR as it's referred to in the game, um, I think for most people is probably their biggest financial decision that they ever have to make. It's also the biggest store of wealth for many Australians. It's also the source, unfortunately, at times for the biggest level of stress. So it does cover a myriad of different um, emotions and, and benchmarks, I think, for life. And so we can explore some of them and, and give people a bit of a guideline on you know, what to do, what not to do, why to do it. Uh, hopefully it assuages it. But property is just a phenomenon in, in itself when you consider that you know, 66, 67% of Australians own a property. The current median price in Australia of a property is $860,000. That's a lot, um, isn't it? Median. Yeah, and it starts to then give you you know, a, 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 an idea of the actual quantum of the trillions of dollars that are locked up in our domestic property market. Now, you strike me as someone who's probably fairly seasoned in the home buying space. You've moved countries, you've moved cities, you now live on a farm in Byron Bay. How many homes have you owned personally, if you can remember off the top of your head? Primary place of residence? Yeah. I think we're just totting it up, um, I reckon about maybe 14, I think. That's a lot of boxes to move 14 times. <coughs> Absolutely. Um, it is, and it gets harder as there are more moving parts, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, it is It is a very difficult decision for a lot of people. It's emotional, it involves money, and money and emotion are two things for most people, I think, that are inextricably linked. And, and I guess when you're buying your home, let's face it, you have to have somewhere to live. Uh, and that's the overarching reason for buying somewhere is you have to have somewhere to live. And yet the modern sort of spin I say modern, I'm starting to sound like an old man when I say that. The, the modern sort of spin is that it's actually the money-making machine because you know, on balance, most people probably make more money tax-free from their primary place of residence appreciating in value than anything else. So it garners a lot of attention because of that. The challenge is that if you sell your property because you want to lock in a profit, well, you've got to buy back into the market again. So you're really selling and buying in the same market. So... It's, it's kind of almost a juxtaposition because you then, if, if your property's gone up in value substantially and you're taking some cash off the table with it and then you're buying into the market again, you're paying more for what you're buying into. So well, Let's flesh that out a little bit. So mm. as you say, you've got to have somewhere to live. Mm. And when you're buying somewhere to live, it's got to be the right location. And I will go through the criteria in a moment's time. But you mentioned the notion that it's tax-free, so no CGT, no land tax. Is that correct? No capital gains tax uh, and no land tax. And if, if, you, if you own your house... Uh, and you rent it for a period of time, I think it's two years and six, you're allowed to rent it uh, out as an investment property if it's still your primary place of residence to avoid any of the, yeah, your accountant will better advise you on that sort of thing. So it can be a very, very tax effective uh, place to, to grow your wealth. And that opens the door for a, an awful lot of approaches that people take and We'll talk about things like renovation and value add in a few moments, but I guess it really comes down to 
two things. Are you buying your home? And this is very different from a conversation around investment property. If you're buying your own home, are you buying it to make money or are you buying it to have a quality of life? Or, or it could be both. Could be both. Could be both. Um, so you can lean probably more towards one thing or another. We've got to have somewhere to live. That's a, a, a human need. Uh, but if you can make a few bucks alongside that, then that's a win-win situation for you. And it's how a lot of people do get their start in life uh, in terms of acquiring wealth by buying well uh, and, and going through the process that we're going to outline. And it sets you up. Let's do that now. What is the process? Can we break it up into a couple of categories that you might want to assess? Look, I think you can look at, let's break it down into maybe three three core areas. Location, which whenever you talk about property, obviously location you know, is, is very, very important. Uh, affordability and functionality. Um, you know, it's all well and good having something that's in a great location, but if you can't afford it, then it's going to cause dramas in itself. And, you know, affordability is a hugely important screen to look on things. We've all got a desire to live perhaps where our lifestyle might be. And this will vary, of course, with age. Um, but it's whether the hip pocket can can, su- can support that particular kind of lifestyle. So affordability is massively important. And it's probably number one on the list, right? Unless you've got the ability to afford something you've got really no flexibility to choose location or functionality in the first place, right? Mm, exactly right. And, and, and the bank will look at affordability in terms of your ability to, to service the loan, uh, it's debt serviceability. So they're gonna take a bet that the market's gonna hold reasonably steady and you're gonna better continue to pay your mortgage so that they can get their money paid back to you. And if you fail to do that, they'll repossess your property and, and that's a different can of worms. But what factor, what wiggle room do you build into the fact that interest rates can change? And this, I guess, is fairly topical currently, given the fact that we're in an interest rate cycle that's rising. Um, and, and it's caught a lot of people out because, you know, our, our governor uh, wouldn't be a podcast without mentioning him, Philip Lowe, uh, Dr. Philip Lowe, um, you know, made representation that rates weren't going up till 2024, which is obviously incorrect. And, and, and a lot of people base their borrowing decision on that. And when the clock turned and rates started to go up, it's caused you know, significant mortgage stress for people. So, and I, I sort of go back and I know I've had my dad on this podcast in the past and you know, my dad's advice always, you know, get your debt paid off because if you owe people money, you never own your life, which is a very narrow-minded and old school set of values to use. And it served me pretty damn well through my life. I, I, I certainly took that on board from my dad. And I think, you know, he, he always said, be conservative in what you can borrow. You can borrow more, but, you know, you want to be able to still be able to afford to have a quality of life or do stuff as well, because if you're just chasing debt payment, it's not fun. So rather than stretch yourself and get into the market in the biggest place you can buy, get into something that you can afford and then look to add value in different ways than just simply the organic growth in the property market. And, you know, APRA, who are the, the Australian Prudential Regulatory Association, they're the people that regulate our banks to all intents and purposes. I think the model that they used was, at the time, was about 3% over what base rates were. Yeah, we've already seen interest rates move way past that point. So the, 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 the sort of margin they were advising people to give themselves as a buffer of 3% wasn't enough. So I'd almost go double that and say, imagine rates moving by 6%. Could you still service your debt then? And if you can, then that's affordable. And if you can't, then lower the bar and aim for something different. And that's a very conservative way of playing it. But we're not talking about an investment property here where you can use the rent uh, to, to offset it. And we're not talking about being able to deduct the cost of the interest 
like you can in an investment property, you've got to pay for it. If it's your primary place of residence, you have to pay. It's as simple as that. And so putting yourself under financial stress to go into something that's too big or out of your league um, is not the way to build wealth. It'll give you uh, ulcers and keep you up at night. That's right. I've heard on a couple of other other sources that if you are buying somewhere to live, mm. that you should be only spending around 30% of your net take-home income on yep. mortgage repayments. Does that sound about right? I think that's really good. Um, good advice uh, because it is at the more conservative end uh, of what people see. And again, it, it's easy to make a decision today. And property, whether it's an investment property or a private place residence, is a, is a is a longer term window that you're looking at. And an awful lot can change over time. And it's not just a question of interest rates moving up, but your particular life circumstances can too. So something else a lot of people don't necessarily factor in at the time is 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 if they have dependents. So if you're in a, 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 you've got a husband and wife situation, you're married, you're buying your first home together, and then you decide to have a family, well, that's one person extra to support, then two, possibility that one of the uh, parties, either the mum or dad, are gonna take time off work to, to be at home and look after the kids, or if they go back to work, you've gotta find the, the money for um, childcare. So your ability to service that debt has gone from two incomes and, and no fixed costs of kids to maybe one income and three dependents on there, which makes a really material difference to your ability to to support your mortgage. And, and I remember my dad used to work around the clock. I mean, he'd work at weekends and, and mum was a cleaner, so she'd work in the evenings and things like that. They worked really, really hard to make sure that they were able to meet their, their mortgage obligations. I'm an only child. I obviously have one and hit perfection, so they needed to break the mold. But, you know, parking that to the side for, for a moment, you know, if you have a bigger family, it can become, you know, very, very challenging. So that's your affordability and then your functionality mm. perspective on well, that, AB. The, the functionality side of it is that, yeah, again, in just the same way that the affordability is going to change if you have dependents, so too does the functionality. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I sort of think to my my, my home when I, my, when I met my now wife was, uh, to my, it was a fantastic place to live. It was also the most perfect bachelor pad. It would be manifestly unsuitable for my lifestyle now. Uh, and so, you know, that functionality wasn't there for what my upcoming chapter of life was going to be. And, and always, again, go back to that view that you've got to be looking at property with that 10-year mindset in mind. What, what, can it, what can you expect to change in that next 10 years? And how do you deal with it? Uh, why you might think to yourself, well, I just sell and move into something bigger that has more bedrooms or whatever. But there is a cost of transaction in property that's pretty hefty, particularly when you factor in things like stamp duty, for example, which unfortunately is a primary place of residence you still get to pay. Uh, and so there is a switching cost uh, of moving around. So you do want to sort of buy with a bit of growth capacity in there, where if your needs change all of a sudden, um, then you've got functionality in the property. And I think the pandemic was a really good example of that, where you saw people that prior to the pandemic were very happy living in a city um, and who could have foreseen what was going to go on, but living in a city in an apartment, all of a sudden, if there are two people working from home in a one-bedroom apartment, you know, you're under each other's feet all the time. You need space to be able to work from home, uh, you know, possibly privately or whatever it may be. And so, you know, a house offers different benefits because, you know, typically there's a bigger floor plan that goes with that. So, again, you know, moving in together into an apartment, that might be what you can afford. But if you're planning on having a family, um, then that might be a little bit more challenging. So, yeah, that's a, that's a huge factor to, uh, to consider. There's a lot to consider, as you say. Mm. Now, we haven't even started on location, AB, yeah. and I know how many factors there are in location, schools, crime rates, mm. 
close to medical centers you are? I mean, what other mm. things would you consider in that? Well, case? that's right. I mean, uh, yeah, location, location, location is the catch cry, of course. For, great TV for show too, by the way. <laughs> uh, and what you would deem to be a great location is going to vary at, at different times in your lifetime. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, the obvious one, if you've got kids, is proximity to schooling and, and medical facilities. And equally, as you get older, um, having access to medical facilities become just as important. The school's probably less so. Um, having, um, you know, crime is an interesting one if you live in an inner city area. And I consider, you know, if I look at my first purchase in London, wasn't by any stretch of the imagination the most salubrious place you know it's a pretty rough end of town and we'll get on to you know what sort of location to buy and what to then do it suited my needs i lived on my own it's what i could afford at the time and it was my start and i was very fortunate in that that area became gentrified um pretty much almost immediately after not because i moved in there but immediately after it started to really change in its composition from being a fairly you know rough end of town to being edgy I suppose would be the softer term to describe it, to be bohemian, to to being the hit spot to be. And that sort of transition, again, takes, you know, five, ten years when you look at that in a property cycle. So, you know, crime is a really important one, especially if you're older. Uh, And also, depending on the type of dwelling it is, if you're in an apartment, crime is slightly different because, you know, breaking entry in a high-rise apartment is very different from a a single-storey dwelling. So that's a consideration too, depending on where you're at. Transport is a massive one. And it's one that I think oftentimes people overlook and especially, especially in a city context. So to give you a hard fact on just how important transport is, if you look at Sydney right now, and these stats can obviously vary over time. If the property is located within 400 meters of a train station, it's actually worth about four and a half percent more than something that isn't. In Sydney prices, that 4% actually adds up to quite a lot. It certainly does. So there's a material prize value associated with that proximity to great public transport. And I reckon, uh, and I haven't had a look uh, at, at some other cities, um, but I reckon you'd find that's a pretty much a, a, a ubiquitous global factor is that proximity to transport. And once again, you know, the access to to transport really will mean different things to you at different stages. So maybe when you're younger, um, it might be, public transport to get on the, you know, think back to London, getting on the tube or the bus to get into work. Uh, and it may be as your lifestyle changes, it's the ability to good roads to be able to drive around or, you know, if your business requires, tra- uh, you know, airports and not, I don't fly anything like I used to. So proximity to the airport now is, is not a consideration for me, but when you're doing a hundred flights a year plus, it's massively important. And as I said to you before, it kind of helps my next name has got a G6. So it's kind of, doesn't make too much difference flying. Yeah. Away, so that'd be right. That's nice. Um, but you know, I think, you know, airports are an example or train stations. They're, they're things that, that can be really manifestly important in terms of transport. So they're like a handful of things around the location space um, that I think are good screeners for people to consider. But again, you've got to be looking down the line. So what's going to be important for this, not the current chapter of life you're in, but the, 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 the back end of the current one and the next one that's coming, if, if that kind of makes sense. Because we all live in the moment. You think this is perfect for me today and now. Where am I going to be in five years' time? And does the decision I'm making today service where I'm going to be in maybe three, four, five years' time? It's a really good question. And as you say, it comes down to your lifestyle at the moment of what you need or what you want, mm. but also some money-making opportunities. So mm. let's let's parlay to that now, AB, because this is the money and investing show mm. after all. So on the basis of the criteria we've, we've presented today, you're picking somewhere that you want to live. There, is there any advice in the actual money generation space on your PPR? But I, I think 
it, it's critical because you've got an opportunity to have a free swing without tax. So if you've got an opportunity of making some money with it, you kind of need to do that as well in today's world. So, you know, it comes down to, it's got to be location because it's the overarching function for any property transaction. And it's a, a question of buying you know, the best location that you can afford based on what we've talked about already with affordability criteria. And if I sort of think about my wife's, my wife's grandfather, Frank Foster, a great banker with the NAB back in the day, responsible for opening up a lot of rural New South Wales, very smart guy, didn't get a chance to meet him, unfortunately. And what he said, I've heard echoed to a number of other people and it's always buy the worst house in the best street that you can get into. Classic advice. And, and you think, okay, yeah, yeah, cliche, cliche. But when you actually step back and think about that from a practicality perspective, if you're buying in the best street that you can afford, the location is ticking the box that you want. Okay, so that's an immediate big font 50 tick in the box. Well, it's not easy to change your location, right? The location so you get the is right location, always right? going to be where it is. And uh, yeah, again, you look at any kind of city, you've always got the, the outer suburbs that, that bloom the last and the core inner city is typically what retains its value. The older suburbs, you know, you think about Sydney, yeah, you look at Wallara and places like that, yeah, Bellevue Hill, they're right in the middle of town, albeit in the eastern suburbs, uh, and they always hold their value. If you look at Turak in Melbourne, it's the same. If you look at sort of Ascot in Brisbane, it's exactly the same. The old part, the hub of the town holds its value and everything else is the, the ripple effect as it goes out. So if you're buying the best house in the worst, or sorry, the worst house in the best street, you know, you're dropping anchor in what is a great location. So what do you do then with the worst house? That's where value add really comes into it. And you know, that notion of all the different things that you can do to enhance value, whether it's a renovation, um, whether it's you know, changing the garden, um, you know, putting a granny flat for multi-generational dwelling or working from home, getting some off-street car parking in play, um, you know, going through the roof and putting a couple of dormer rooms up in there to have more space for kids' rooms, all of those sorts of things enable you to get more out of the footprint that you've got in that great location. And the wonderful thing about it, of course, as you add that value and you come to sell, other people hopefully will appreciate that value if you're putting stuff in that's sort of half sensible. You know, if you've sort of gone down the Nordic spa route, that's a minority thing. Not everyone wants that, but most people would want a pool or off-street parking if they're in a city. So the stuff that's, you know, widely accepted as being popular or smart sort of additions to do to somewhere. And again, it's tax-free. The downside, and I had a former colleague uh, that seemed to do this rather a lot, would be to buy a house and do a renovation where you're living it and the prospect of, you know, living in a building site for two or three years, I think I'd rather rather um, do plenty of other things in my life than that. Mm. But, you know, if that's what your strategy is to, to get ahead, um, then, then it's certainly possible to do that and, and you get better and more efficient at doing those sorts of things. So, um, you know, that idea of adding value in any way, shape or form, you're never going to be able to change the location, but you can change the property that's on it, I think is the key advice there. And then I guess finally to that, when you're buying it, is, is, is buy with that 10-year view in mind uh, that whatever it is now, um, with some value add, uh, the location's already good. And if I can change this and change that, it's going to go from appealing to maybe a couple to becoming a family home, uh, which opens the the, the the aperture, if you will, to a broader buying public. And from a money and investing perspective, even though it's your primary place of residence, if you've got something that's, I'm not going to say meat and potatoes, but something that is what most people are looking for, it's very, very easy to sell and it's very appealing. When you've got something that's quite niche or lifestyle, that becomes much harder because it, it becomes a very much smaller demographic that would be interested in something that's got X, 
or something that's got Y. You know, it's like you know, rural living. If I take a, a place down, down at Byron, it's, it, it, right now it suits us with five children and, 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 and the pathway that we're on teaching the kids about growing food and all of the good things that come out of that. The flip side is not everyone wants to live on a rural property. And one thing a lot of people don't realize with a rural property, we talked about your primary place of residence being tax-free. Well, it's not on a rural property. It is for the two, two hectares or five acres. You can claim that space as your primary place of residence, but the rest of it is then subject to capital gains tax based on the land value and things like that. So there are different rules for different types of, uh, of property, and that's something to be aware of. And again, you know, rural property, I doubt very much would appeal to your uh, lifestyle right now. Not quite yet. But Not yet. Uh, when, 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 uh, when you eventually drop anchor and, and the next generation of Laurentials pop out and, and, and you've made your multiple millions, you'll be sitting back and, and enjoying things, living on the deck and, and having a great time. And it may well be something that does appeal. So, you know, it, they are the stages of life. And if you consider, you know, the whole journey of financial planning and wealth, you know, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in other podcasts, it's about stage planning. And and at each different stage of your life, different things appeal and and are important to you. And each one of those stages can be embraced and you can optimize from a money and investing point of view. I guess the, 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 the key thing is number one, just get started. And if you think about how old you were when you bought your first property, 21 or 22? 21. 21, you've planted the flag nice and early. And the smart, the many smart things that you've done with that is the fact that your money is now growing for you with the organic movement in property prices. Whereas if you left it to you 25, you miss out on four years of growth and you might have a few more hedonistic stories to add to the mix, but you, you haven't got that foundation to run off. So get started yesterday would be the initial call. The rent is dead money. It is dead money. You don't own anything. And yes, there are tax benefits if you rent and things like that, but get a property and get started with that. And then you've always got that anchor point to help grow your wealth from it. And if you're able to then layer up on that, get uh, get your dad around to do a bit of painting, which I know yeah, you have. He He's money about that the other day. I don't think you've paid him yet, have you? No, I, I was supposed to shout him lunch, but I haven't shouted him yet. <laughs> I'm sure I will. Think, if you're oh, listening to this, Dean, I will. Yeah, no, Dean, Dean will really appreciate that. So, you know, get someone in to help you. And I, I did the same thing when I bought my first place. The old man and my mum came down and sort of helped like, clean it up and, you know, and do the cosmetic stuff in there before I did, did the did the renovation I did. And, 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 and so you're taking proactive steps to increase the value in the thing. So you've got the organic growth happening because you got started. And then you're taking steps to improve the value uh, by by undertaking certain things, renovation being an obvious one, and it's just sat there doing its thing. Whereas if you overthink it and never get started, this market you know, continues to drive higher and people are priced out because they just didn't get started early enough. And I think you know when it comes to principal place residence, the quicker you can get something that you can call your home that's yours, that you're paying off with the bank or you own outright, um, the better. And then you're on literally well along the board uh, of wealth creation because you're always going to have a great asset behind you. Um, there are plenty of other things you can do with your money, but that one is a non-negotiable that you just have to get out of the renting pool and into it. And I know people will be listening to this that say, I can't afford to buy. You can. It's just not where you want to you be. Uh, and you're going to have to forsake that affordability with maybe a significantly longer commute into work, for example. But then again, you might not need to go to work now with work from home being the norm for so many companies. So that proximity 
that used to be so important. You know, I think, you know, look at town planning, used to look at the world like it was a fried egg. You know, everything was in the yolk in the middle because you needed to be near the city. And now we're in a world that scrambled eggs where you can be virtually anywhere and do what you need to do. So that that's made the demographics change, I think, in that argument for, well, I can't afford to buy in Bondi or yeah, wherever it is that you might particularly want to live. Then you, you buy where you can afford and get on the train like everybody else when they're starting out. Don't use it as an excuse. Use it as a lever to motivate you to get started and be on the game. And then you can start seeing your money working for you and eventually you'll end up where you want to be but if you don't start you'll never get there maybe great advice great listen today thank you very much my pleasure anytime Mitch there you have it guys make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to hosting you next week